name of the Lord, you can be seated. I praise God for His goodness and mercy. Thank God for His saving grace, the blood that He shed for us. Well, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to take them to Matthew chapter number 6 and look with me at verse 14 and 15. Now, I'm going to entitle this message, Let Go of the Rope. Now, you'll find out, it'll make a little bit more sense in a little bit when I get into the message. But for right now, we're going to hang our hat on Let Go of the Rope. Matthew chapter number 6, and look at verse number 14. Matthew 6 and 14. If ye, this is Jesus speaking now in the midst of his Sermon on the Mount. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now I'm not pretending to know what happened over your Thanksgiving meal. But this may be an apt message on forgiveness after, after tangling maybe with relatives at the, at the Thanksgiving dinner table. But I want to talk to you on the subject of forgiveness. And, and it's what Jesus has pointed out. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how straightforward you are with this subject of forgiveness. God, the Lord Jesus, you don't pull any punches when you talk to our responsibility to forgive others and the implications of withholding forgiveness. God, you're clear in your word. God, I pray you'd give us willing hearts to forgive. May the Holy Spirit come and, and do his work of conviction, of, of probing, of pulling back our excuses and facades and showing us who we really are deep down inside. Father, I pray that you would help us to rid ourselves of unforgiveness, of those that may be in our relations, in our family, for those that may be far off, removed by decades of time. Father, I pray that you would help us to have a heart of forgiveness, because it is only by your power, it's only by your enablement, that we are able to forgive. So God, I pray you'd help us to do that. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. When I was a kid down at Straightway Baptist Church down the road, Jackie can probably back me up on what I'm about to say, uh, there was in that little tiny foyer in that church, small room, where I think later on they had a water fountain and uh, the bathrooms were right there, but one of the things I remember about that when I was very little, like in the early to mid-70s probably, was there was a rope in the corner of that room. Whether it was the left corner or the right, I can't remember. But there was a rope hanging, hanging down with a hole cut through the ceiling. And that rope was connected to a bell that was in the steeple. The old church did have a bell, and a steeple. And I, I remember uh, uh, somebody, I think his name was Garrett, or, or maybe his last name was Garrett. And uh, he, one huh, what was his name? Yeah, Huckabee. And so, Gary Huckabee, 
he would, he would pick me up. I remember him picking me up as a little boy. And it was the thrill of my life as he would hold me up in the corner and I would reach up and grab that loop and he would let me ring that bell. Clack, clang, clack, clang. You'd hear it all over the area. Clack, clang. And I would pull for all I was worth. But eventually, after it became a nuisance, either my dad or somebody would say, okay, that's enough, that's enough. Let go of the rope. And so... I would let go of the rope, but the neat thing about it is as, the, as after I let go of the rope, the bell would still sound, and you can actually see the rope going up and down as it pulled on that hinge in the corner. And it would, the, the, you could still hear, I wasn't pulling nothing, and you could still hear the bell going back and forth. But after a while, it would make its last sound, and it would echo away, and eventually the rope would become steel in the corner of that little foyer. When we think about forgiveness, the ringing of that bell is a very apt illustration of unforgiveness. When we refuse to forgive, it is like constantly pulling the rope to keep the sound going, to get, to get the repetitive nature of that sound going over and over. Every time we ring that bell, we don't forgive the wrong that has been inflicted us. It is a constant reminder of the wrong that has been done in our mind. Just like the ringing of the bell, every clang of that bell is a reliving of what that person has done to us to wrong us. But forgiveness, to truly forgive, is the act of letting go of the rope. It means that you choose to no longer hold the rope, pull at the rope, repeat uh, going over and reliving the hurtful experience over and over. You let go of the rope. Now, if we choose to let go of the rope, our emotions will still feel the sting for a while. In other words, you'll still hear the bell. Even though you're not pulling it, the hurt will remain for some time. We will still be reminded of the wrong again. But if you let go of the rope and you leave it alone, after a while, the bell will slow down until it stops. Will scars be there? Yes. But they won't be near as loud as they used to be. The din of past pain will fade from our hearing. In these verses before us, Jesus deals directly with the issue of forgiveness, particularly horizontal forgiveness. Those that have injured and done harm to us. You know, in this passage, verse 14 and 15, he has just finished what we would call maybe the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer. It's a teaching to his disciples on how to pray. He does this in other locations as well. But it's like the model prayer. And right in the center of that Lord's Prayer that he just gave them, matter of fact, it's in verse number 12, 
Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Here he instructs us and requests of his heavenly Father to forgive us as we simultaneously are forgiving others. Have you ever heard someone say something during a prayer and you lift one eye? I've been to some prayer meetings where some people have said some crazy things when they pray. And I lift one eye and said, what did he say? What was just said? That must have been what it was like to hear Jesus say such a thing about forgiveness. Because as soon as he ends the prayer, he evidently realized that this would be on people's mind. This is what people would remember about what he just said. And he goes back over the topic of forgiveness. He knew people uh, would be concerned with forgiveness and need further emphasis. Like one preacher said, Jesus not only taught us that we need to be forgiven, you need to be saved, you need to be forgiven by God, but that we, need, we also need to be forgiving. As God forgives us, we are to be forgiving others. So every one of us can realize the, the importance of forgiveness. This is a very important issue because as we'll see later on, the issue of unforgiveness can stunt us in our spiritual progress, in our relationship with God. He said it clearly that there is something to be said about our relationship with God because of our relationship with others. And so I want us to understand some things about this act of forgiveness. And I want us to look at three facts. Number one, I want you to see, first of all, forgiveness defined. Forgiveness defined. You know, this passage of Scripture, verse 14 and 15, is not the only place where Jesus laid out this same truth about forgiveness. Mark eleven twenty five through 26, listen to what Jesus said. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespass. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespass. In a parallel passage, he says basically the same thing. So what are we talking about here? I mean, we can have all the kind of clever illustrations in the world about church bells and ropes, but we need to have a clear understanding of what Jesus is speaking of when he tells us, when he commands us to forgive others. Notice, first of all, the first thing I want to define is the wrong experienced. Three times in verse 14 and 15, Jesus uses the word trespasses. For if we forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Three times. This same word is translated fault in Galatians 6.1. And the word literally means a slip or a fall. But in ancient times, it was used to speak of the attacking of an enemy, a direct assault against someone. So when we encounter this expression, Jesus was talking about those who attack us or do things to harm 
or offend us personally. And so this leaves us with the, uh, with the, uh, the field of wrongs to be wide open, things that can be done to us. And it could be all manner of things. You know, for example, lies. Lies that have been told about. Have you ever been lied on? That, that someone told a lie about you. They made a tale of something you did or didn't do that was completely untrue. Lives can be devastated in this, in this highly litigious age in which we live. Uh, someone can decimate somebody else's life by lying about them. Mark Twain said it best, a lie can find itself halfway around the world before the truth can put its shoes on. If that was true, if that was true in Mark Twain's day, think about it what it is in the age of social media. A lie can travel 14 times around the world before the truth had its time to get the shoes on. Critical words. Have you ever been criticized? Words of criticism can live with our hearts and minds for decades. An over, you do not realize how that an overly critical parent can affect the lives of children and, and, and bend their progress for decades in their life just by an overly critical spirit. Critical words. What about spiteful treatment? Oh, man. Talk about stepping on toes this morning. Have you ever done things out of spite? Or had people do things to you out of spite? It never ceases to amaze me how hateful and spiteful people can be to each other. Many adults can act downright childish in how they treat each other as, as supposed to be adults. They can turn up their noses they can refuse to speak to each other. There are, there are coldnesses in, in communities and in churches that are because of just spite between people. So what Jesus is talking about are things that are done to us with the intent to hurt us, to attack us, to offend us. Do you have a list? Do you have a little Rolodex you've been going through right now? And running back to things over 10 years ago that someone has done to you? You're looking over it now, aren't you? Every, every wrong, every spiteful word, every harmful action is vividly coming to mind. This is exactly what Jesus is speaking of in this verse. Those things that hurt you. Those words that have attacked you. The wrong experience, but also the response expressed. So how is Jesus telling us to deal with the problem? How are we to respond to such attacks? An eye for an eye? A tooth for a tooth? Do unto others before they do unto you? Uh, are we to have a dirty, hairy attitude all through life and make my day punk and let's just get even with somebody? No. The wrong, Jesus says here, the wrong is to be met with 
forgiveness. Now, the word forgive that Jesus uses here is really interesting. He uses it four times in verse 14 and 15. And it literally means to send forth. To send away. It has the idea of laying aside or, guess what? Letting go. Letting go of it. We mean the same thing when we say, just drop it. Just let it go. Let the thing fall away. You see, to forgive someone is to tear up the IOUs. To tear the page out of the record book. To dig a hole and bury it. In other words, it is to let go of the rope. There's a story that has a lot to do with this subject from the Civil War. Robert E. Lee was visiting uh, in Kentucky where there was one lady who showed him the remains of what had been an enormous oak tree on her property. The tree stood like a maimed giant directly in front of her house. It had been battered by bombshells and explosions. Limbs had been ripped off of it. It looked horrible. She bitterly cried to General Lee of how the limbs and the trunk had been shattered by federal artillery fire. Having poured out her anguish, she looked at the old soldier for the condemnation of the North. Following her brief sentence, he responded this way, Cut it down, my dear madam, and forget about it. In many of our hearts stands an enormous batted tree. And we whine and we moan and we stomp and we snort over the wrong that has been done to us by family, by children, by co-workers, by neighbors. We get so upset about how we've been wrong. No matter how much time has, has gone past, we relive it over and over and over again. Look at what happened to my tree. Look at how I've been wrong. To follow the meaning of the words in our text simply means to chop it down and bury it. Get rid of it. Are you willing to do that this morning? Yes, it hurts. But I promise you, the baggage will empty itself. Just put it aside. Notice, second of all, not only forgiveness defined, but forgiveness directed. Now, I know the conversation that is taking place in most of our hearts right now, me included. But you don't know what that person did to me. And I'm telling you, you know, in the day and time in which we live, there are some horrifying things that people have done to each other. That adults have done to children, that, that, that younger people have done to older people. I, I mean, there are terrible things that people have done to each other. Brother Ronnie, you did not go through the pain, the agony, the humiliation that I went through because of what that person to be, or what that person has done to me. And you know what? To be honest, you're right. I cannot possibly know what you personally have been through. I can empathize. I, I, can, I can hold your hand and shake my head and click my tongue. 
and, and say that is terrible. What an awful thing for someone to do to you. But in the end, that will not change the fact about what Jesus, Jesus said in these words about forgiveness. It will not change red ink on an onion skin page. No matter what it has been in the past. Notice first of all, the command of forgiveness. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. These two verses are a command from Jesus. It is not a recommendation. It is not a suggestion. It is not a hint. It's a command. And you and I are obligated to forgive those that have wronged us. You know, forgiveness is not only horizontal in nature, but it's also vertical. Forgiveness is an act of obedience to God. Listen to what Colossians says. Here's even stronger evidence of a command. Colossians 3.13 Forbearing one another and forgiving one another if any man have a quarrel against any even as Christ forgave you so also do ye. Ephesians 4.32 Be ye kind one to another tenderhearted forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Paul makes it clear that we don't get to pick and choose who we forgive and who we don't, and which actions merit forgiveness and which actions could never have forgiveness. No, Jesus gives no qualifications. He didn't say, now, if it's this, if this was done to you, then you can hold that, you can, you can harbor that, you don't have to forgive and everything. No, he makes no qualifications. Henry, Matthew Henry said this, Christ came into the world as the great peacemaker and, and, and not only to reconcile us to God, but to one another. You and I have to understand that when it comes to forgiveness, we're not given a choice. You don't get to choose. When you walk out those doors today, if you're going to be obedient to Jesus Christ and do what He says you can't say, well, I'm sure God will make an exception for this, whatever that is. And it could be as black and dark, as dirty and filthy and horrific and embarrassing as it could possibly be. It would, it would be hard. I, I would agree with you. They don't deserve forgiveness for what they've done. That doesn't change what Jesus has said. It's a command of forgiveness. Notice the condition in forgiveness. The condition in forgiveness. Look at verse number 12. During our Lord's prayer, Jesus made it clear that we are to ask God for forgiveness of our sins. Look at verse number 12. And forgive us. This is the disciples' prayer. This is supposed to be part of our, of our uh, spiritual formation. The basics. I'm to ask God to forgive me. We have all wronged others, and we all need forgiveness. We have all wronged God, therefore we all 
need forgiveness. We need it on a regular basis to stay in right relationship with God. Now, look at verse 14 and 15 again. Look at what he says. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And then 15 is just the opposite. Did you re- do you realize what I just read? Do you realize the seriousness of what Jesus is saying? When we withhold forgiveness from others, we withhold forgiveness, God's forgiveness, from us. When we do not forgive others, then we ourselves cannot be in right relationship with God. Now, I think there needs to be um, a principle of standing and status. My standing as a believer in Jesus Christ is to be that of justification. Paul made it clear in the book of Romans that when we, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are, we are justified. Justified, we are declared righteous, we're declared innocent. We are declared innocent to such a degree it is as if we did every command that God ever asked us to do. Past, present, and future. My standing in eternity is, is, is completely set when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I am justified forever. I can't lose my for, forgiveness for sin. I can't lose my, my, my placement of perfection before the eyes of a holy God because I've been placed in Christ Jesus. Therefore, I'm, I'm, I'm saved. I'm, I'm ready to go home no matter what's taking place in my life. That is standing. But there is also status. Position and practicality. Practically speaking, Jesus is saying that if I don't forgive others, it does not mean I lose my salvation and can't be forgiven of sin. That would be contrary to the teaching of all the Word of God. But what it does mean is that it interferes with my relationship with God. I can't be in right relationship. I can't be with the books cleared between me and my Heavenly Father when I've got something against somebody else out here. When I'm not forgiving someone out here. We cannot move on with God with unforgiveness in our heart. We cannot pray. We cannot serve. We cannot worship rightly. We cannot enjoy God when we do not forgive we will be like a car stuck in the mud our wheels may be spinning at a furious place but we're not going anywhere I think that's why so many people in their lives their Christian life they are stunted they never make it past a certain place because unforgiveness is is interfering in their relationship with God There's a great example of this in Bruce Wilkerson's book entitled The Secret of the Vine. He tells a story about a lady named Catherine he met on a weekend retreat. At a dinner on Friday, she admitted that she'd never been able to really break through to a rewarding Christian life. It always seemed like there was something keeping her from that. I I just don't, here's what she said, I just don't feel like my faith amounts to anything except guilt. I always feel like God is unhappy with me. 
all through the dinner, she, she kept expressing the similar sentiments. And about the time the dessert come out, Bruce Wilkerson said to her, Catherine, I think there's something that's keeping you spiritually stuck. She said, like what? After ruling out several possibilities, he suggested that unforgiveness might be the blockage in her walk with God. On Saturday morning, she cornered him right after breakfast. She hadn't slept well during the night. Bruce's words the night before had opened an old wound. And it was her bitterness toward her aged mother. Through the years, she had held things in her heart against her and had, had been unforgiving of her. He advised her to sit down and write down all the things that she held in her heart towards her mother. On Sunday morning, Catherine came and said, this is it. This is what has controlled my life. In her hand were five handwritten pages in small script of every hurt that she had held on to for all those years. After an hour of talking and weeping, Catherine was able to repent of her unforgiving spirit and release from her heart all the things she had held against her mother. Six months later, he got a note from Catherine. She had reconciled with her mother. And this is what Catherine wrote in the note. I'm back on speaking terms with God. It feels like my soul has, is breathing again. Even my non-Christian friends have noticed. And I've started enjoying serving God too. Listen, there may well be a reason that you are stuck. That you haven't sensed God's presence and His moving in your life. In so long, could it be unforgiveness? Someone that has hurt you so terribly that is holding you back from going on with God, your relationship with God. That's what Jesus indicates in these verses. That this horizontal relationship that we have with those around us can greatly affect our vertical relationship with God. Lastly and finally, forgiveness defined, forgiveness directed, also forgiveness depicted. Now for this, we're going to go to a different passage of Scripture. Jesus addresses the idea of forgiveness again in Matthew chapter number 18. So turn with me over the same book of the Bible, Matthew chapter number 18. Jesus in this chapter tells a parable about forgiveness. Chapter 18, look at verse number 21. Now Peter starts out this uh, uh, a conversation that puts Jesus in this parable by again saying, okay, how much do I have to forgive someone else? He's trying to mete out exactly how much forgiveness is there. He suggests to Jesus, well, Forgiving someone seven times, is that, is that going to be enough? And Jesus says no. Jesus' response is in verse 22, Jesus said, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seven, 70 times seven. That's 490 times. I got it in my notes. I didn't have to add it up while I was here because I can't do math that fast. But 490 times. Now Jesus is not saying that you get a, a notebook and you mark out 490 times down through there and check box off until they get to 4, 489. 490, up, oh, that's it. No more forgiveness. 
no forgiveness for you. You know, like the soup line, no forgiveness for you. You're 490, no more. That's not what Jesus is saying. The implication is there is no limit. There is no limit to our compelling by God, command by God to forgive others. And then Jesus begins to tell a story. And he goes into the story of the unforgiving servant. Verse number 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain man which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, he was brought unto him one which owed him 10,000 talents. But for so as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment be made. And the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will, I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Jesus tells this story about a servant who evidently had been doing some financial stewardship on behalf of his master, and he made some bad investments. He invested, his investments come out to the negative in the red, 10,000 talents. Now you say, Brother Ronnie, what's a talent? A talent in the Bible is approximately 100 pounds of gold. Think of a, I don't know, it's my, it's my upbringing playing Mario. You know those big coins in Mario that he went and got? It's like a big coin, that's what I think of a talent, it's a big Mario coin, a gold one weighing 100 pounds. Now, that's an ash, and he said, not just one, but 10,000 hundred pound talents. Now, that's more than any one man could pay in a lifetime. That man throws himself in upon the mercy of the king, and the king simply wipes away the debt. Says it's forgiven, and he forgave him. This man was facing indentured servitude of not only himself, his wife, and his children. A horrifying, a horrifying situation. He throws himself on the mercy of the king and he's forgiven. Now, this morning I did a little figuring to give us an idea of what kind of debt we're talking about here. At the current rate, gold is $1,758 per ounce. That would equate to $28,128 per pound of gold. So if you had a pound in your, of gold in your hand, it's worth $28,000 plus. Now, if a talent is worth a is, is approximately 100 pounds of gold, that would mean one talent is worth $2.8 million. Now you multiply that one talent times 10,000 talents, you're looking at a debt of $28 billion. $28 billion. And that might not seem much with the way politicians throw around billions of dollars on the news in front of us. But let me give you some perspective. If you had $28 billion, you could buy 933,333 cars at $30,000 a piece. That's a lot of cars. If you had $28 billion, you could buy 140,000 houses at $200,000 each. 140,000 houses. That's got to be way beyond what's in Dade County at all. 
140,000 houses. If you could save, if you could save $10,000 a day, then it would take you 7,671 years to have $28 billion at $10,000 a day. 7,000 years. What I'm trying to say is this is a scandalous amount. Scandalous. It's enormous. Enormous is not even the right word. This is an insane amount of money. Wiped away. Erased. With one word from a king. I hope you can see the application here. What a scandal the grace of God is. My sins were as high as the heaven. A billion years in a lake of fire would not scratch the surface of what I owed to the holiness of God. And yet on March the 20th, 1994, as a 21-year-old college student, when I bowed my knee to Jesus Christ, one word, gone, forgiven, paid in full, they're all gone. My sins are gone, gone, gone. What a scandal the grace of God is. That's why so many cults, that's why the Judaizers are still alive today. That says, yes, you can be saved, but you got to keep the law. Yes, you can't eat these. Yes, you can be saved. You can believe in Jesus, but you got to keep the law. you got to fulfill the law. I'm telling you, that is why there's so much of that going on. Why? Because it is a scandal that God would forgive us like that. That God would be so gracious to us. The scandal of grace is that my undeserving, is that an undeserving sinner such as I could simply throw myself on the mercy of God and the debt that I could never repay would simply be washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh glory, how black and vile, how rebellious in vanity and pride I was in the sight of God. And yet in a moment of mercy, in a moment of grace, he wipes it all away. Paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what the Word of God teaches all through the New Testament. The scandal of divine forgiveness. But then Jesus goes on. Look at what he continues to say. He tells the story of the servant that's forgiven so much. But look at verse number 28. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, I have, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. But he would not. But he went and cast him into prison that he should pay the debt. And so when his fellow servants saw this, and what was done, they were very sorry and came and told it unto their Lord all that was done. Listen, this servant that was forgiven so much went out, I mean, singing the tune of the Andy Griffith show. Can you see? I got no more debt. The thing that had burdened me down for years is gone. He's whistling Dixie all the way down the road. He's as happy as a lark. Uh, uh, the uh, Mount, Mount Everest is taken off 
of his shoulders, all of a sudden, he sees Joe from the job walking the other way. He makes a beeline to Joe. And instead of grabbing him by the lapels and saying, can you believe what I've been forgiven? The king has wiped out my debt in full. He grabs his lapels and says, you owe me, what did he say, a pence? He said, he said the fellow servant which owed him a hundred pence. One hundred pence is basically five bucks. He owed him five bucks. He who had been forgiven a mountain was and was, was owed five bucks by someone else basically went to him and told him, if you don't pay up, I'm going to have you thrown into prison. He has him put in jail over five bucks. How absurd. Ridiculous. How could a man who has been forgiven so much not forgive something so little? The story continues. Then his Lord, after he had heard, called him and said unto him, Thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest thou not also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I have pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay that was due him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. If, if, ye, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone who has his brother their trespasses. Jesus is being starkly clear. If we don't forgive others around us, do you know what that looks like to him? You've been forgiven a mountain and you won't forgive someone around you a mohill in comparison. Painful as it might be, I'm not negating your pain. I'm not negating your offense, your embarrassment, your loss over the attack upon you. But in comparison to our offense to a righteous, holy God, it is a mohill. It is nothing. Many of us may well be sitting in this room with unforgiveness in our hearts. And for years we have been in a torturous prison of anguish and despair. We are being held in confinement, not going anywhere with God because you will not forgive the $5 slight that someone has dealt you when you have already been forgiven so much. If we see anything in this message this morning, we must see the seriousness of forgiveness. The seriousness of forgiveness. To close, Corey Tinboom and her sister Betsy were Christians that worked in a, uh, in a, a watchmaker's shop in Switzerland. They were found out that they were hiding Jews at the time. And they themselves as Christians were put into the Ravensbrück 
um, concentration camp. It was during their stay there that Corey Sitt's sister Betsy, or Betsy died in the starvation atmosphere of that concentration camp. Corey, however, through a clerical error that no one to this day can understand, was escorted out of the concentration camp alive after many years of being there. Corey Timboon, I don't know if you've ever read any up to her. She's a wonderful teacher, speaker, wonderful Christian, great testimony. But years later, she, she went around, would tell her story everywhere she would go about God's forgiveness, basically preaching the gospel to people around the world as she told her story. After a service or a, a time when she was speaking one time, there was a, a tall man that came to her who was sitting in the back of the room. He, he reached out and, to shake her hand. And then she, as Corey looked into his face, she recognized him. She recognized him as one of the guards that stood at the shower room of the processing center at the Ravensbrook concentration camp. Suddenly, in just that moment, you know what I'm talking about, a flood of memories come into his mind. The death, the dying face of her sister, a body riddled with lice and fleas in, in a weakened state of starvation, dying in her arms in that concentration camp. She thought about the anguish and the pain of all that her father as well died in that concentration camp. Just came like a flood into her mind. Like I said, the guard reached out and thanked her for what she said and added this. To think that, as you say, Jesus has washed my sins away. The guard had been saved since the ending of the war, probably living in hiding, but he had come to a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus. She looked at his outstretched hand, and instead of reaching out her hand to shake his, Corey's hand was frozen and stayed at her side. This was one of the men that she had hated all those years. But now, here he was telling her that he had been saved. And he was holding out a hand to her. Even as the anger, angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through Corey, she saw the sin of those thoughts. Contrary to what she'd just been teaching. Christ had died for this man's sins as he had for her sins. She prayed to God in her heart, Lord Jesus, forgive me. And help me forgive him. Corey said she tried to smile and struggled to raise her hand, but she couldn't. She felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or love. She thought of how she had encouraged others to be forgiven, but her, she herself was struggling in that moment to forgive. And she prayed this silent prayer in that instant, Jesus I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. Suddenly, as though, as though she could not control her hand, she reached out and took the hand of this man. 
And by her own admission, her own testimony, she did so, as she did so, the most incredible thing, thing happened from her shoulder along her arm. It seemed as if a current passed from her to him. And while in her heart there sprang a love for this guard that was almost overwhelming in that moment. Corey discovered that what God commands, He enables us to perform. Jesus, our Savior, will not ask us to do anything that He has not the enablement to do through us. The Apostle Paul in Philippians, that he may, we may do that, He may work in us His will through us. When God tells us to forgive those who trespass against us, He gives, along with the command, the very love needed to obey His command. I'll be honest, this message hits so close to home in so many realms in my own life. Ministry in many regards is a spiteful place. It is filled with egos and, and backbiting and gossiping. There ain't a... There ain't a sewing group of women that's worse than a bunch of Baptist pastors when it comes to gossip. Things that have been said, things that have been done that have hurt me, and I have hurt others in the process. Here, with this lesson, I understand, and I hope you understand, that if we're going to go on with God in the progression of our lives, there is an act of forgiveness that needs to be dealt with in our life. We that have been forgiven so much have an obligation to forgive those that wrong us. Let's stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. I, 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 I don't know why particularly this message today, this is, on, this is on my heart. It's something that I personally have been dealing with about an individual a case of ministry from years gone back seems to never go away. And I hope you would pray for me that God would enable me to have the kind of forgiveness that I'm supposed to have. But no doubt, if it hits close to me, no doubt it hits close to some of us in this room. And there is the need for all of us to act upon something that we cannot do ourselves. We've got to have His empowerment. Let's ask God to do that. Some have responded. You're welcome to respond to this altar at your seat. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, God, help us to observe your words. Search our hearts as we're about to sing. Uh, God, I pray that you would show us our unforgiving spirit. Pull from the dregs of our heart those wrongs that have bent us in our life, stunted our growth, held us back in our relationship with you and God I pray help us to forgive, help us to repent of that to let go of the rope stop ringing the bell stop reliving it over and over and over God help us to walk away from it let it go God help us to forgive help us to relent Father we ask this in Jesus precious name amen and amen song number page number 141 cleanse me 141, you sing and worship the Lord.
Ask God to do what this song says. Search my heart. Let's sing and worship the Lord. 141. Go ahead, Brother Rogers.